Welcome to Barry and Lambert's Solicitors podcast series, Planning for Your Future. In this series, we explain in detail how life planning can help you navigate your way through the ups and downs, and how getting your affairs in place now can assist your loved one's future responsibilities. Barry and Lambert Solicitors, we're right by you, through the good times, challenging times, and sad times. Hi, I'm Paul Harvey, and a very warm welcome to this podcast with Barry and Lambert Solicitors. And today I'm with Jaruva Patel, who is a solicitor at Barry and Lambert's. A very warm welcome, Jaruva. Good to have you with us. Thank you, Paul. Good to be here as always. Our topic today is deputyships. But before we go into the topic, Druva, could you describe your role with Barry and Lambert's? Yes, of course. I am the head of the private client department. I'm also a partner here. I have been with the firm for a few years now. I'm practicing for many more. I have a great team that I enjoy working with. Let's remind our audience that there is actually a podcast in existence, which is about powers of attorney, which is closely linked to this topic of deputyships. But could you define what deputyships is about, please, and how it works in relation to powers of attorney? The issue is one of managing one's affairs um, in the event that you are unable to do so yourself. So that would be either property and finances and health and welfare or both. There is often a scenario that uh, a client has been diagnosed with perhaps dementia and a family member calls the office to say that we've been advised that a power of attorney is required. At that stage, our immediate query is, does this client have sufficient mental capacity to appoint attorneys, i.e. do they have sufficient capacity to manage their own affairs? If they do, then we go down the road of taking instructions, advising regarding lasting powers of attorney. But if clearly they don't and they've been told that or diagnosed with something that um, clearly Uh, they do not have capacity to manage their affairs, Um, we would be advising their family members or their concerned loved one to make an application to the Court of Protection for a deputyship order. The two effectively allow either attorneys or an appointed deputy to manage your affairs um, in the event that you cannot do so yourself. So effectively, one, the deputyship route is used in the event that the client no longer has capacity and the route for lasting powers attorney is effectively used when the person still has, the client still has capacity to manage their affairs. So... No doubt you've come across this scenario before, but let's talk about a particular scenario here where a daughter of an elderly client has contacted your office and she's been told that her mother needs a power of attorney in place to enable her to help manage her mother's finances and to be kept in the loop about her health. The daughter's been helping her mother on a day-to-day basis with the shopping, paying bills, taking her to medical appointments. Mother's memory's deteriorating. She's very confused. She's been told that she's got dementia. She has a property in her name, in her sole name, cash savings, some investments and pensions. So what are the what are the options to enable the daughter to help her mother now as her health deteriorates? 
Yeah, that's a good question. And I think ultimately it comes down to the initial question that I would ask the daughter in this scenario is, does your mother have the capacity to manage her affairs now? I understand that she's been diagnosed with dementia, but there are obviously varying levels and stages of dementia. Um, and it does not automatically mean that she doesn't have the ability at this stage to manage her affairs. So if her daughter says, well, yes, I think mum still understands everything, um, but she's just struggling with her memory a little bit and needs some help um, here and there, I would certainly advise the daughter that there may be an option to create powers of attorney if she can satisfy the tests of understanding her affairs and, and managing them. And I would be able to help with that assessment. And if I felt that I wasn't able to assess that, then we would perhaps contact a medical professional to make that assessment for us. But in respect of powers of attorney, I won't speak more about them because um, I direct you to um, my podcast on lasting powers of attorney within this series, and that will give you a bit more information there. But assuming in this situation that mother has lost capacity to manage her affairs and um, a solution is required in looking at how the property in her name would be managed the cash and the investments I would uh, advise the daughter that an application for deputyship should be considered and what that means is effectively we would have to apply to the court of protection to have them appoint perhaps the daughter or someone else to act as a deputy and manage her mother's affairs for her. That can be done in respect to property and finances, but also health and welfare. The property and finances application for deputyships are very common um, and they're used um, where people have not had the opportunity or the forethought to make lasting powers of attorney or powers of attorney in any form to cater for this scenario. Um, but the one, the application for a health and welfare deputy is a little more, not complicated, but they're not so easily obtained. Um, the court are reluctant to hand out too many of them. So it would really depend on the circumstances at hand. So the daughter would need to think of is, is it, does she want to be the person that looks after her mother's affairs on the assumption that her mother cannot do it anymore? And if not, who else would want to take that role or would be suitable to take that role? Could she share the role with somebody else? Can you have a shared deputyship? Very good question. And the answer is yes. You can have a joint and several application made to the Court of Protection for one or more attorneys to act together. So you can have even three or four deputies to act together jointly and severally. We always, as standard, advise applicants to think about whether there is someone else that can act alongside them in the event that they either, you know, for example, are out of the country on holiday or they become incapacitated themselves temporarily or long, long term or indeed predecease. What we want to do is, you know, advise and give solutions that are long term. So yes, joint and several deputy applications are preferred over single applications. Do you recommend that in circumstances where the 
estate is fairly complicated if there's some, you know, with this particular scenario, there are cash savings in a bank, there are investment and pensions, there might well be a property involved as well. Really, even if things were simple, I would still advise the daughter in this scenario to think about what well, is does she have a brother? Um, is there anyone else that is trusted and has the skills and knowledge to look after the affairs? Yes, you know, where you have a more complex estate with more assets and perhaps jointly owned assets, we have to be very careful about who um, makes the, the application to be a deputy who might be appointed. But I think as a standard advice, it should be that we're looking to the future so that, you know, if one cannot act, one deputy can act for whatever reason, um, mother is not left vulnerable and exposed, um, kind of in a position where someone else needs to make a fresh application, which could take months in, in getting into place. And in the meantime, leave mother without access to funds or anything else. So yes, I think it's very important at the initial stage to think about who can um, act and uh, how they would act together. And also if, if one f potentially couldn't act, then would there be a good alternative for someone to step in? I suspect that, you know, a deputyship could carry on for years, which might well put pressure on existing deputies to find replacements. I'm, I'm sure you've come up against those situations. Yes, uh, there have been scenarios where actually we have been appointed as um, professional deputies. And that's an option where, you know, family members either are not suitable to be appointed as deputies or indeed, you know, someone client doesn't have uh, family members that would be able to act. And uh, we have been appointed and historically, it would be one deputy that would be appointed. And, and you know, where circumstances change, we have learned that it is always in the best interest of the patient. So in this case, the mother to have more than one deputy appointed for, you know, just future proofing the appointment and we just don't know what might happen in the future and like you say it could be 20 years sometimes longer that a deputy has been acting and we want to ensure that there is always an alternative before we have to go back to court to make a fresh application so we kind of touched on it but you know just to summarize what are the disadvantages of a deputyship and how could they have been avoided well, let's start with how we can avoid a deputyship <laughs> application, because this is the key. It is by making powers of attorney whilst you are able to do so. That means whilst you still have physical or mental capacity or both, you should really think about making powers of attorney that, as I say in, in my other podcast, that effectively act as insurance policies. One hopes that um, you don't need them, but they are there just in case. And if they're there, then you don't have to worry about someone having to make a, a, an application for deputyship if and when you lose capacity. So that's the one way of avoiding deputyships. Why one would want to avoid a deputyship um, application and order is really, I mean, it comes down to cost and ongoing obligations to report to the Court of Protection, the cost of applying for deputyship orders and also subsequent orders that may be required, for example, to sell a property, to make certain decisions regarding the uh, assets held by the patient can 
uh, really mount up into thousands of pounds. There is also an ongoing cost of security bond that is required by the Court of Protection on a yearly basis to protect the property of the patient. It is an obligation that is a non-negotiable effectively and um, it must be paid on, on an annual basis to protect the assets. More than that, I think, I mean, those are the monetary consequences, but um, as I mentioned just now, uh, a deputy is required to report to the Court of Protection every year. And if they require more often reporting, then it would be that. But if what they are required to do is report every penny spent, every penny that's come into the estate and justify every decision that they've made. So it can be a real, really onerous task to be a deputy. And it is a very serious um, role that is taken on and given by the court to a person that is one willing to take the role, but obviously um, also considered trusted by the court also. The fundamental thing that really rings home to clients is, you know, do you want to choose the people that will manage your affairs or do you want the court to choose who's going to manage your affairs? And most people say, well, I'd rather choose, in which case really they need to be making powers of attorney sooner rather than later. However, this option of having a deputyship put into place is there for those that didn't get round to it and it is there to protect the patient. So, I've talked a lot about disadvantages, but it is there for a reason to protect um, the client and to ensure that their affairs are managed in the best way possible. Of course, that's fundamental. What is the process of appointing a deputy? It is a case of an application being made to the Court of Protection. Part of that application requires an assessment of capacity to be completed. And that usually it would be a medical professional or, for example, it could be someone else with the requisite professional skills to assess capacity. It could be a social worker um, that has knowledge or experience in assessing whether someone is able to manage their affairs or not. So once that and various information is provided to the Court of Protection, they will consider the application and and either more ask more questions or require further information or go ahead and issue the application and order. The process is a long one. It can take sometimes up to eight, nine months. It depends on how busy the court of protection is at any one time. So again, it's not an easy process or a quick one and sometimes can cause considerable delay to payment of care fees Um or sale of a property, etc. Yes, I think that, that summarises the process involved. There's a lot of information here, Daruva, about deputyships. If people want more information, how can they contact you directly? They can contact me by telephone or by email address, uh, which is dpatel at berryandlamberts.co.uk. So that's d-p-a-t-e-l at berry and Lamberts with an S on the end, .co.uk. Our website has a lot of information and you can contact us via that uh, or by telephone, as I said. I was joined by Dharuva Patel, partner and head of private client department at Berry and Lambert Solicitors for this podcast. Thank you for listening to Berry and Lambert Solicitors podcast series, planning for your future. Find out more about us, our services and what our clients say 
at berryandlamberts.co.uk. Berry and Lambert Solicitors is regulated by the Solicitors Regulation Authority and a proud member of Lawnet, the UK and Ireland's leading network of independent law firms promoting excellence and best practice. Please note that the information provided in this podcast series does not constitute legal advice and serves as a general guide only. The law may have changed since this podcast was recorded. Listeners should seek tailored legal advice from a solicitor who will take your individual and personal circumstances into consideration. Music